0: As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up, turn it on to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9. Now when we last left Daniel, he had just survived a night in the lion's den, and after he survived that night, King Darius's heart was drastically changed towards God, and so he issued an order that people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, and literally, this pagan uh, Persian king ha- launches into a praise of the living God. Well, in verse 28, the story of the lion's den ends with these words that Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius the reign and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So, Daniel suddenly becomes a national story. If he were alive today, he would be the lead story on 60 Minutes. TMZ would be following him around with cameras. People Magazine would be having the exclusive Lion's Den photos. Daniel was suddenly a person that everybody knew, and he had power and position. The king of Persia, who had conquered Babylon, named Daniel the acting ruler of the province of Babylon. So within that province, he answered only to the king, and he was the acting ruler of the former area known as the Babylonian Empire. He was powerful. He had great position. He was very wealthy. Financially, he was completely secure. His chariot was no doubt pulled by white horses. Ralph Lauren designed his clothing Jamie Oliver was his personal chef. Daniel was living life high. At the annual Thanksgiving banquet of the Persians, Daniel would be the, the featured speaker. And after the royal bird was so served and after King Darius thanked all the uh, generals for all their work that year and talked about all the lands that they had conquered, they would call on Daniel to be the guest speaker and talk on gratitude. And I can see in my mind's eye, Daniel stepping to the mic and clearing his throat and giving testimony of gratitude. As a young boy, I was taken from my homeland. I was living in Jerusalem when King Nebuchadnezzar came, besieged the city, and suddenly my life was thrown into slavery I was led in chains to Babylon and then put through a three-year indoctrination program where they tried to separate me from everything that I knew and everything that I loved. They changed my identity. They took me away from my family. They took me away from my home. Everything was changed, but there was one thing that I would not change because the Babylonians could take away my life, but they couldn't have my soul. And so I continued to keep my faith in God, even though I was away from home, even though things were changing. I continued to maintain my faith in God, and over the years, I've seen God do some incredible things. God has put me in positions of influence. He has given me opportunities to lead throughout my lifetime. God has used my life to turn the hearts of two wicked emperors, no offense, King Darius, but... He's turned the hearts of Nebuchadnezzar. He's turned the heart of Darius. God has used me and God has used my friends. He has taken us to the brink of death. He has taken us through fiery furnaces and through lion's dens. But through it all, praise has gone up from all the nations to the Lord of lords and the King of kings, my God. And I can hear Daniel say, I just want to give thanks tonight. And I'm sure at the end of the speech, Everyone would clap appropriately, and then they would eat quickly so that they could be done in time to get home and watch the Darius Cowboys destroy the Nebuchadnezzar Giants in the gladiator games while they ate pumpkin pie. Daniel was one of those rare people who didn't just celebrate Thanksgiving as a day off of work, but Daniel celebrated Thanksgiving from the depths of his soul. Being a grateful person was something that he expressed every day of his life. In Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, we have that moment when King Darius had issued the decree that you could not pray to anybody else but him for 30 days, and Daniel's immediate reaction was to go to his home, and there the windows in the upper room opened towards Jerusalem. And Daniel did what he did every single day, three times a day. He got down on his knees, and the Bible says that he prayed and he gave thanks to his God. Every day, three times a day, he prayed and he gave thanks to his God. Daniel strikes me as a truly thankful man. Thanksgiving is this Thursday, and I... I love Thanksgiving. Uh, it's, it's probably my favorite holiday. I love the smell of Thanksgiving. I, I just love the simplicity in some ways of Thanksgiving. But my one problem that I have with the holiday is that for, for many Thanksgiving celebrations, there's no real gratitude. We celebrate family, and we celebrate food, and we celebrate football, and we celebrate naps, and we celebrate leftovers, but a lot of times whenever we go home from our Thanksgiving celebration, we're complaining. We're complaining about the in-laws. We're complaining about Jerry Jones. And so we go home not filled with gratitude, but we go home filled with bitterness. It amazes me that in this day and age that we live in where we have so much stuff Many of us are incredibly bored and restless. And so I begin probing that reality and I ask the question, why is it in this age where we have more information than we've ever had? Why is it in this age where we have more stuff than we've ever had that so many of us are more bored than we've ever been? We can't sit still. We can't enjoy uh, a moment in life. We're always dissatisfied and always wanting more. And I think a lot of times the reason is is because we think that God gives us stuff in order to terminate upon ourselves. In other other words, the the whole reason that God blesses, for a lot of us, we think that the whole reason that God blesses me is just for me. And so when a blessing comes into your life, It stops right there it doesn't go any further because in in your mind that's the whole reason why God gives you blessings but truly grateful people understand this that God brings blessings into our lives so that our lives might bring praise to his name did you catch that God brings blessings into your life so that your life might bring praise to his name and so even in the simple things of life We have to look for the opportunities to praise God. I think of the delicious meal that most of us will eat on Thanksgiving. And, you know, the flavors of that meal should motivate us to worship. You know, God could have made all food taste exactly the same. Instead, he, he brings together these different flavors, and then he brings chefs who have a skill to take those flavors and blend them in such a way that whenever we put that food in our mouth, it just explodes in our mouth, and it's like, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this food that I'm, I'm enjoying. Except, of course, for the cranberry jelly. Uh, that stuff's just gross. You know, you have that can, and it's kind of like a Star Trekian mess of... High Fruit Coast corn syrup and artificially flavored fruit. And, you know, I'm kind of on a crusade to get rid of the cranberry jelly. But it's not working very well. My wife bought a few cans the other day. And I find disciples of cranberry jelly all over the place. Stacy's here. She's a big disciple. Stacy Krim. she's a bit, She was teaching my children the other day. This is the best part of Thanksgiving. Eh. Anyway, I digress. I chase a rabbit on that. Whenever we enjoy the love of our family, we to praise God. Thank you, Lord, that there's people in this world that love me. Whenever we hear little ones playing in the house, we praise God and we thank him for the fact that life is a gift that he has given me and life is a gift that he continues to give through future generations. And so as those little ones run around the house and break your vase and all that kind of stuff, They're also testimonies to the wonderful gift of life. Whenever we watch our football team, our football team stink it up on TV. We praise God that even though we live in a fallen world, God didn't leave the fumble on the ground. He did something for us that we could never do for ourselves. And so the blessings of this life should drive us to our knees like it did Daniel It should drive us to be thankful people and praise God instead of puffing us up in praise to ourselves. Daniel was a truly thankful man, but he was also a man of remorse. He was a remorseful man. His life script had not gone according to plan. He would have never written himself as the leader of the Babylonian province. He would have never written the entire uh, stage of slavery into his life. And he missed his homeland. I think it's telling that in the passage that he would turn his face towards Jerusalem. He would look back over the miles from where he came, and there he would pray. I would imagine that there were times that Daniel stood in that upper window and he looked back over Jerusalem and he wondered, what happened to my parents? What what happened to my friends? What happened to my homeland? He was also a man who was broken by the reality of his country. You see, before his homeland was conquered, they had fallen into great sin. And so in chapter 9, he has this prayer and he begins praying for his country. And Daniel says, I pray to the Lord, my God, and confess, Ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. We have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, fathers and all the people of the land. Daniel looked at the behavior of his people and and he was remorseful. He he was filled uh, with repentance for the sin that, that had been a part of their community. You know, past remorse often divorces us from the source of true gratitude. There's a universal reality in each of our lives, and that universal reality is that we've all sinned. The Bible clearly teaches that in Romans, that we all have sinned, that we all fall short of the glory of God. And so there's another universal reality that we all have, and that is our need of forgiveness. A lot of times we try to find that forgiveness by doing good things, and we think through philanthropic efforts or through sowing good karma that we might find forgiveness in our lives, but the scriptures teach us that that forgiveness does not come from your efforts, but the forgiveness that we all seek comes through the grace of God. And so the Bible is a story of healing. The story of scripture actually begins with a wound when Adam and Eve sin and rebel against God, there is a fracturing of the soul and there is a fracturing of the creation, but then God intervenes into the scene and he sends his son and his son is also wounded, but death cannot contain him, he overcomes the grave. And the story of Scripture is not a story of death, but the story of Scripture is a story of life and healing. And because of that, we should remember that even though we sin and even though we have done things that are wrong, there is forgiveness and there is grace in Jesus Christ. We should always learn from the past. I don't think that we should be so arrogant as to never look back at the past And realize that there are lessons that we must learn. But we can never live in the past. For a lot of us, we're not grateful. Because we're still held captive by the past. Let me talk to you about four practical things you can do to release the past. The first is this. Spiritually, you can embrace God's grace. Embrace God's grace. Admit your sin. You know, it's really easy to rationalize our behavior, to say, well, I'm not really this or I'm not that or don't judge me, you know, all this kind of stuff, and never just come face to face with the fact, you know what, I've done wrong. I'm a sinner. I admit that to God. Lord, I sinned against you. Just as Daniel prayed, Lord, we we have iniquity. We've done things that are wrong. We are in need of your forgiveness. Aren't you glad, though, that as a sinner, God has provided a Savior? That he has done something for us that none of us could do for ourselves in sending Christ. And he doesn't call us to be good enough to earn his love. He calls us to believe in his love. To believe in His Son and to believe that His Son died on the cross for our sins. And so embrace His grace. Admit your sin. Believe in Christ as your Lord, as your Savior. Commit your life to following Him. God doesn't call you to be perfect. God calls you to believe in Him. To trust in Him. And let Him do a work in you that nobody else can. To do a work that changes you from the inside out. God desires to heal the brokenness of the soul so that you can begin again. You don't have to live your life held captive by the sins of the past. Believe in the Savior. Practically, if we want to release the past, we have to embrace the life that God has given us. You know, your life is not perfect. Neither is my life. But if we were to take inventory of our lives they're really full of a lot of blessings. And I find that frequently what we spend our time doing is we spend our time chasing after somebody else's life. I want want my neighbor's life. I want that person's life that I see on TV. I I want all the stuff that they have. I want the opportunities that they have. And we don't ever actually live the life that God has given us sure there's things in your life that maybe you would have written your life script differently there's things in your life that maybe you don't even enjoy but if you really take inventory of your life your life is full of blessings there is so much to enjoy in your life and so I want to encourage you as a person who desires to be grateful live the life that you have Enjoy your life. If you're married, enjoy your spouse. If you've been blessed with children, enjoy them. Enjoy the the things, large or small, that you have. Embrace the life that God has given you and live the one and only life you have to the fullest for the glory of His name. Verbally, if we're going to live beyond the past, we have to embrace encouragement. I came across this quote this week. I thought it was a good quote. It says, Younger generations are your legacy, not your competition. As we age, uh, we have to fight the natural drift towards negativity. It's very easy the older we get to become more and more negative and to become more cynical in our reactions. I love Labrador Retrievers. They're, they're my dog of choice, and so I love them. If you know anything about Labradors, they, they're pretty big dogs, and they can be fairly rambunctious creatures. And so if you want to train a Labrador Retriever, then, then you have to understand a few things about them. As long as you have a fence and a leash A puppy will respond to rolled-up newspapers and scolding words. But once the fence and the leash are gone, that dog's only going to follow you in the field if they have relationship, respect, and trust. And the same thing is true in our relationships between the generations. If we want younger people to follow us and to listen to us, and if we want to be loved and if we want to enjoy Those loving relationships that span the generations, we have to move beyond cynicism, scolding words, and rolled up newspapers and embrace relationship respect and trust. Your life can leave a legacy. And as you get older, I I pray that you do not drift towards discouragement. Don't be that uncle, don't be that dad. That nobody wants to come to your house because they know that when they walk in the door, all they're going to get is a massive dose of discouragement. Sure, some of those younger people in your life do some brain-dead things. But look back over your life. Didn't you do some brain-dead things when you were young? Sure, no, absolutely not. Of course you did. And one of your challenges is to help them lovingly move towards wisdom. And process the amount of information that they've gained into some wise activity in their life. Be an encourager, not a discourager. Fourthly, relationally embrace forgiveness. I've preached many messages on forgiveness over the years, and so I have to be brief today. But relationships are messy, and everybody in here has a past. You've hurt people. And you've been hurt. And the only way to avoid living in the past is to release it. Forgiving others doesn't always fix everything, but an unforgiving spirit doesn't fix anything. And so we have to learn to release the past and press towards the future. Now, I want you to notice before we quit today that Daniel was also a hopeful man. In chapter 9, Daniel is praying, and then he is visited by the angel Gabriel. And this is what Gabriel says to him in verse 24 of chapter 9. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to wipe away iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now Daniel is a prophet, and so like men such as Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, John, uh, Daniel was one of those men that God allowed to have a glimpse into the future, and God revealed things to him about how God was working, and so this section of Scripture is what scholars call the 70 weeks of Daniel. And it really speaks towards, in my opinion, the the end times. And God is saying to Daniel there in verse 24 that whenever time ends, whenever I seal up history, I I will bring the rebellion to an end. I I will bring a stop to the evil that's in this world. The iniquity is only for a season. It will be wiped away, and I will instead bring about everlasting righteousness to my people, and, and I will make sure that I am worshiped from all corners of the world. Daniel chapter 7, 8, and 9 are, are fairly technical passages. You're reading through the book of Daniel, and you're like, man, this is all narrative. These are, these are interesting stories. And then you get to chapter 7, and you're like, whoa, what was that? What, what's this about? And it, it kind of makes you scratch your head and, and wonder, okay. And usually what we do is we just kind of move on to the next book. Well, in a, in a nutshell, in these chapters, God reveals to Daniel that there are going to be four uh, great earthly kingdoms and that Daniel is in a season where God is working through the Gentile nations, the nations other than Israel. And so we had God raise up the Babylonian Empire And then God tore that empire down and raised up the Persian Empire. And then eventually that would be torn down and the Macedonians would come to power. And then the Roman Empire would come into power. And then God reveals to Daniel that there would be a Messiah, an anointed one that the people of God had been waiting for and that that Messiah would come to Israel. And we we understand as Christians that the Messiah was Jesus. And God reveals to Daniel that the Messiah is going to establish a spiritual kingdom, not an earthly kingdom, and that spiritual kingdom will know no end. But then here in the 70 weeks, the scriptures say that there's going to be a cutting off of the Messiah. And so there's going to be this time in which God is not just going to work through the nations, but God is going to work in the heart of the nations And this is the age in which we live right now. You know about the Apostle Paul and you know about his missionary activity and how the gospel went out from Jerusalem and it began going to all nations and all people groups and it's even crossed the oceans to Murphy, Texas where we're here right now worshiping God as believers in Christ. Well, all of that was told to Daniel that there would be this movement of the gospel into the nations, and then there's going to be a second coming of the Messiah, a time where Christ will come again to restore the shalom of creation. You see, in the Bethlehem and Calvary moments, we have a restoration of the fracture of the soul, and when Christ comes again, we will have a restoration of the fracture of the creation, and God will reign for all eternity his kingdom will have no end. You see, in, in your life, you will never have lasting gratitude unless you have eternal hope. And I think this is why God revealed this to Daniel. Obviously, there's a prophetic message and there's a message that God wanted to get out through Scripture through this revelation but I think one of the things that God wanted to reveal to Daniel is that, that, that you're mine, and I want you to rest in me. And I want you to understand that even though this isn't the, the script that you would have written for your life, this is my script. And I am using your life in ways that you could never imagine. It has floored me to think that this one Hebrew boy that's ripped from his home would be used by God to turn the hearts of two emperors to the God of creation. Just through the circumstances of his life. You never know what God might do through your life, and I think God is telling Daniel, you need to rest in me, and you need to realize that your ultimate hope is found in me. A lot of what we call hope here in this world is simply temporal hope. We're just hoping for better moments, but God calls us to eternal hope. You see, things come and go in life, and today's moments quickly fade into memory. And soon those memories are pushed down the news feed by tomorrow's moments. And if you don't have eternal hope, if you don't have a hope in the reality of your God and in the reality that history is really His story and that He's working things to a conclusion, if you don't have that eternal hope, then your gratitude is going to come and go with the moments. But God tells Daniel, You will find gratitude in my certitude. Rest in the hope that I am in control. and Because God is in control, I have forgiveness for my past. I have purpose for my present. And I have hope for my future. And the result should be this, that thanksgiving overflows from our hearts. Thanksgiving's not something that we do. Thanksgiving is something that we are. Christians should be the most grateful people on the planet because we have true forgiveness. Our lives have been touched by grace. And we can look at the blessings in our life today as opportunities to bring glory to our Creator. And we can look to tomorrow. And even though we go through difficult circumstances, we know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. We pray for healing whenever we are sick. We pray for comfort whenever we are hurting. But we know that even when this life here is over, that we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so I finish this morning with the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life and He leads me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me In the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows and only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord as long as i live would you be so kind as to stand with me please as we come to a time of commitment the band's going to come and lead us in worship If you're here today and you need to be a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to take that initial step of faith, come see me. I'll be here at the front. I'll be here after the service. I would love to talk to you about what it means to be a Christian. Uh, If for whatever reason you can't get to me or find me, uh, find somebody that you know that loves Jesus and let them know, I want to believe in Christ. I want to take that step of faith uh, so that you can Close out today knowing that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. I encourage you during this time to let gratitude flow from your heart. You may express that through music. You may want to spend this time in prayer. Uh, you may want to pray for somebody else. Maybe you're someone that likes to write out thoughts and God has really been pressing some, some new thoughts into your mind and you just need to spill out on paper uh, during this time, however it is that you desire to worship I just encourage you to do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. And I thank you, Lord, that that our hope is not just something that, that comes and goes with the moments, but that our hope is anchored in something that lasts for all eternity. And I thank you, Lord, for the life that you've given me. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help me to love my wife and to love my children, to love this church, to love my community. Help us, Lord, to embrace your design. To realize that we are wonderfully created, that we are knit together. And that you've blessed us with talents and gifts that are from above. Help us, Lord, to trust in your script. And to realize, Lord, that even when you send us to places that we would never have dreamed of, even, Lord, when we find ourselves in the middle of difficult circumstances, even whenever our life goes up to the brink of death. Father, you can use that for your glory. Help us, Lord, to have gratitude flowing from the depths of our soul. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we worship. Amen.